many, many years ago, when I was in college, there was a course that I took. It was one of the best courses, most fun courses I ever took in college. And it was a course on Christian camping and how to be involved in Christian camping and, and, and different aspects of it and how to, if you were directing a camp, that kind of thing. But what made it so much fun was the very last part of the camp, I mean of the class, was a three-day canoe trip. And we spent three days going down the Batstow and the Mulligan in, in New Jersey. There are uh, rivers over there. And as we, we worked our way through, we ended up in the marshes of New Jersey. And then on the last leg of the trip, we had to canoe back up into the marshes to get to the place that we were going to be picked up and, and, and be taken back to, um, you know, where back to school and things like that. Everything was fine. We had a great time. We made it down, had the two days. Uh, we had the portage a little bit, did all that, came out into the marshes, made our way through the, the main part of the back bays, and then started our way back up into the marsh. And as we're making our way into the marsh, something began to happen. We were canoeing up this little stream. The problem was, coming the other way was first the current that was coming down the stream. The second was the tide. These were tidal streams, and so the tide was in the process of going out. And so not only were we paddling against the, uh, the, 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 the current, we were paddling against the tide. And then the third problem was that the wind was coming straight at us. And though it's been a lot of years since that happened, I can remember being in that canoe, it was me and another guy, and, and we were in there, and we were paddling and paddling and paddling and paddling. And when you looked at the water, it looked like we were moving like crazy. Until you looked at the land. And we probably only made a couple of hundred yards. I was thinking about that trip as I was working through the message this week. Because I think that's what our Christian life is like. So many times in our Christian lives, we begin to believe that as we're paddling and paddling and watching things go by, we're just got it together. We're really making it spiritually. We are just really, you know, you know, if you're talking about spiritual growth and you're talking about being a babe in Christ and you're talking about maturity, we really begin we're some that we're somewhere we begin to believe we're somewhere kind of down here. And then we look up and we take stock by the standards that God's word puts before us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, consider others as more important than yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. All of the other one another in commands that are existing in scripture. All the reality about who Christ is and that relationship and the depth of that relationship. And suddenly we look up and instead of believing we're all the way down here, suddenly we realize we're really only here. 
Now, that could be discouraging. If, like on a canoe trip, you got to get there. That That's your goal. And the problem was, I was actually in a play at that time, and I had to get back to a church to be in the play that I was going at, and we were just not making enough progress. I think I got in about three minutes before the, the play started and threw on the, the makeup and ran out. And that was the pressure of having to get there. The thing about the Christian life is there's no there that's required. What the Lord asks us to do is to be in in the process of being matured. And the focus is not how far we've come or how much farther we have to go. The focus is on being faithful in the midst of it and learning that each stroke, each movement, no matter how small, is the opportunity to know Christ in a fuller and deeper way. That's what Paul is talking about in a sense. He uses different illustrations. But that's what Paul is talking about when we come to Philippians chapter 3. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3. We have been making our way through this wonderful, incredible book. And last week, when we came to chapter 3 and verse 7, we said this is the emotional highlight of the book. This is where Paul pours out his emotions, I think, in ways he does nowhere else the rest of the New Testament, both in the ways that the the passage and the verses are constructed, in terms of the words that he uses, in terms of the uniqueness of this passage. He does things here that not only are not done anywhere else in Paul's writing, not only are they not done anywhere else in the New Testament, there are things that he does here to express that emotion, to express how important this is in his life, that are done nowhere else in all of Greek writing in order to say, this is what it's about. This is where our lives should focus. Last week, we talked about the fact that what Paul calls us to, as we come there in verse 7, when he declares, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we looked at all of the ways that Paul is talking about that relationship and the greatness of that relationship and the personalness of that relationship and his submission within that relationship. And he said, all that I do and all in my life, what is most important is that I come to know Christ more and more and more and more and everything else is scubala. And we said last week, I really struggled on how to translate that word. It means human excrement. And I mentioned last week how There's a commercial for that odor gone or whatever where the guy's talking in the commercial and he says about how your dog goes out and rolls in that kind of yucky stuff out in the park. That yucky stuff is called scubala. Paul says anything, anything in my life that would prevent me or hinder me from knowing Christ more is that kind of rubbish. Knowing Christ is the focus of my life. 
Knowing Christ there meaning the relationship, the intimacy that I have with Christ. Now last week we sort of ran out of time. Surprise, surprise. And when you come to verse 10 of this passage, Paul reflects again on that phrase and he declares there, I want to know Christ. And then he tells us what that means. Then he tells us what it means to know Christ. It is not here. That's part of it. But Paul proclaims to know Christ is to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, to be like him in death, and to somehow obtain to the out-resurrection from the dead. As Paul is building this letter, as he's coming to this high point, as he's developed the theological foundation there in chapter 2, and particularly in verse 5 when he says, have this attitude in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the foundation of it all. But how do you know what that attitude is unless you know Christ? How do you know what it means to live that out and to be involved in that relationship and to have that mindset unless you know Christ? And so when he comes to this point and he's pouring out his heart to the, to the, the church at Philippi and he's warned them about that which will steal their joy, he comes now and says, it's about knowing Christ and knowing Christ through a daily growing pursuit of him produces in us that which is eternal. In a few moments, we're going to look at the passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul says these light and momentary afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of eternity, of glory. Now, as Paul is developing this, as we come there to verse 10, and we work from verse 10 to verse 14, what he wants us to know is that knowing Christ involves experiencing his death and resurrection on a daily, day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. That this morning, somehow, I learn or I seek to learn and to know more what it means to die with Christ and to be resurrected with him. That tomorrow morning, on my day off, your first day of work, sorry, that you will know what it means to know the death and resurrection of Christ at a different and deeper and more intimate level. Paul says that's what knowing Christ means. And the very first thing he says is knowing Christ means experiencing God's life-giving work in my day-by-day-by-day life. That I come to understand that the same God, the same Spirit who resurrected Christ from the grave is exactly the same Spirit in the life of the believer, that one who has faith in Christ. It is that exact same Spirit, that exact same life, that exact exact same power that is at work in me right now. And it should change how I live. 
Paul was talking about that. He talks about that in Ephesians chapter 1 when he's praying for the church at Ephesus. And he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And here he describes what he wants them to know. His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realm. This isn't just the eternal resurrection. This isn't just coming back to life after we've died. This is the day-by-day experience of Christ's power, of the Spirit's power in our lives. I don't know about you, but I lose sight of this. I forget what this means in, in the busyness of my day and the, and the distractions of my day and the irritations of my day. I had no desire to preach this morning whatsoever because at about 5 o'clock I got up to just look through my notes again and my computer crashed. For the next two hours I was working on just being able to get the PowerPoint up so that I could use it this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I didn't think about the resurrected Christ once. <laughs> I thought some other things. You know, terminal error. I wanted to show what a terminal error was. <laughs> but in the midst of that, to say, Lord, there is a lesson. There is a, a knowing of you and your resurrected power that is to be at work in the midst of the struggle. Somehow I got to blame Cindy in it all, you know, but uh, no, don't, oh, y'all do it. But Lord, somehow to know that resurrection power, to know that your spirit is at work in me right now to teach, to, 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 to convict, to uplift, to strengthen, to encourage, to break down. Paul says to know Christ is to know his resurrecting power on a day-by-day basis. I want to know the power of a resurrected Christ. The power of his resurrection. But he goes on. And he says, I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Knowing Christ requires an understanding that God's life-giving spirit is experienced in the daily struggles of seeking to live for Christ in a fallen world. You know where I learned faith? I learned faith at 5 o'clock in the morning when it all crashes. And I say, Lord, I'm going to have to learn to depend on you. I didn't get there until I got to the office and figured, okay, I'm pastor. I better act like it, you know. And, and then on my knees was able to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you're trying to teach me. But it's in this that I learned the resurrection power of Christ. I learned his forgiveness, his kindness, his sufficiency, his adequacy, his strength his presence, his indwelling. It's in those, often in those struggles. And Paul says, if it's in the fellowship of his suffering, if it's in that difficulty that comes, and by the way, the word suffering there is plural, sufferings. 
and all the different ways that the difficulty of living in a fallen world comes into our lives. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's relational. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's, you know, go through all of the list. But in those times, I have an opportunity to learn to be more dependent on the power and strength and presence of Christ in my life. Paul says that's what knowing Christ means. It means to be more and more dependent on his strength and his power. And we do that through prayer. We do that through dependence. We do that through repentance and accepting God's love in the midst of our failures and all the things that are a part of our lives. Paul says in all of that, I get to know Christ more. I get to depend upon him more. I get to know his strength more. I get to know his love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness more. There is always, always more. Paul goes on. He says, knowing Christ involves a continual death that seeks to die to sin and live for God. That third phrase, when he goes on after he says, this is what knowing Christ means, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. There's a wonderful old theological term that we no longer use. It's called mortification. It's the word we get mortician from. It means to put to death sin in our lives. It means to make the choices in our lives when God reveals that thing in our life that we are struggling with and say, Lord, I want it to die so that I might live to you. Paul said it this way in in Romans chapter 6, verses 8 through 11. Now, if we died with Christ if we are identified with Christ as he died upon that that cross, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. And there is a now present reality that I am in Christ, that I died with him, that my sins are forgiven, that when I stand before and now as I am before God, all of that sin is dealt with. That's my position. But how many of you have put to death all sin in your life? Don't raise your hand. None of us have. We all struggle. We all have difficulty. And so he goes on to say, but the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves dead to sin but alive to Christ. Well, what are the struggles in your life? What are the difficulties? Is it frustration at, at computers in the morning when you, you kind of lose it? Is it a struggle with, with an area of sin of immorality or, or addiction? Is it worry? 
Is it pride? Probably the answer to that whole series of questions is yes. Paul says, I seek to put those things to death. I want to be identified with the crucified Christ and realize that that old has been put to death in my position and more and more in my practice so that I might live as he did for the Father. Adam's teaching on on one of the ways that we're involved in seeking to put to death those things in our lives through our spiritual disciplines. As I read God's word, and that's part of my disciplines, and I realize, you know, Lord, I just don't measure up. Through the spiritual um, discipline of repentance, God, I acknowledge before you I fall so short. Thank you for your forgiveness and that your spirit is alive in me. Give me the strength to make better choices. Not so that God will love me more. That's, That's theologically foolish so that I might enjoy him more. The spiritual disciplines of of quiet and, and solitude that puts me away and lets my mind just focus. We we put to death sin in our lives through community. Through finding those people in our lives that we are seriously involved with one anothering where we love one another and we pray for one another and we encourage one another and we confess our sins to one another and we all of the one anotherings, we find that place where there are people that are there who are able to stand with us, who walk with us and I walk with them and together God uses that community to strengthen me, to help me to put to death those areas of struggle in my life. It may be through so many different ways, gathering together to worship and hearing this morning about the wonder of our God and the greatness of our God and to to sing those choruses and hymns to him. God uses all of that in our lives. It's not done in a legalistic way in the sense that somehow now God will be pleased with me and he'll like me. It's just the opposite. God loves me. I do these things not to get him to, but to enjoy what already is. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And I will bring into my life those things that move me in that direction, and I will remove from my life those things that prevent me. The last thing that Paul talks about is found there in verse 11 when he goes on to say, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, there's something really cool here. Remember that sense of when I was canoeing, we had to get to the destination. We just had to get there. We had to do everything we could just to get there. In a sense, Paul says, you're already there. Everything you're doing is to enjoy what you already have. It's to know Christ more in our day-by-day struggles until that time when you will know him completely. It's being loved by him now until that day when you will know his love fully. 
And I have that in front of me. I live my life for that which is already mine. I live my life for the end. So that now I might enjoy just a little bit greater taste of it. Of that which is already mine. And Paul says there, you notice what he says? He says, somehow, some are saying, see, Paul didn't know if he would be resurrected. No, read the rest of the New Testament. What does the somehow mean there? Paul says, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Paul says, I might be a martyr. This may not come down the way I think it is, and my life might be taken as I wait for trial before Nero to whether to declare Christianity to be legitimate or not legitimate. I might die a martyr. I might go on living. Paul could go on to say, you know what? I might die before the Lord returns, or I might be alive when the Lord returns. By the way, I'd love to be alive when the Lord returns. That's what, that's what Paul talks about. We're talking about in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he says this, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's not a verse for nurseries, by the way. When I grew up at First Baptist in Allentown, they had that verse written above the nursery. I just thought it was so cool. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkle of an eye. Those that have already died in Christ stand they will be resurrected given a new body no more struggles with if you knew Stan the last several months all the broken bones he was facing and all of that none of that's gone and a new body will be his but those that are alive we're going to be changed it's like boom and whether you're premillennial or or whether you're pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib or, you know, trib-tribbed. We all believe that at some point God will return, Jesus will return. Paul says, I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. I'm not sure how I'm going to get to that resurrected point. But I'm living for it. And I live with eternity in mind in everything that I do. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him more than anything. And I come to understand that knowing Christ is a day-by-day-by-day experience. Why, Why get up in the morning or in the afternoon or in the evening and take time to focus your mind on Christ? It's to know him better. Why spend time in the word? It's to know him better. Why come to worship? It's to know him better. Our whole life is about knowing Jesus more. The first and primary aim of our lives. This week I was listening to a radio show and the person was saying there are things in his life that he wants for his children more than their happiness. When I heard that phrase, I thought, you know what? He's right. This was a secular talk show. I thought what I want for my children above all else is that they might know Christ. And if that means difficulty, if that means struggles, if that means hardship, if that means confusion, if that means things that rob us at times of our happiness, so be it. Lord, I want them to know you above all.
But Paul goes on. And he says, knowing Christ requires an honest evaluation. Notice verse 12. This is so encouraging to me. When Paul suddenly declares there, I haven't yet arrived. I'm a paddling. I'm paddling, but I ain't there yet. Paul says, I still struggle. I love the book of 2 Corinthians. It's become one of my favorite books because in it, Paul just talks about the struggles that he's having, and he's so real there. And he talks about the discouragement, and he talks about the struggles, and he talks about the difficulties, and he talks about all of those kinds of things. But in the midst of it, he has this hope that he just tenaciously holds on to. We need to acknowledge that we are not, we are a long way from fully knowing Christ. There is always more. Sometimes the more is just growing in my understanding. Sometimes the more is a changing of my life. I remember when I was a young adult and I was, I was 25 years old and held this baby for the very first time, my, my daughter. And, and I remember sitting there studying my Hebrew text with her on my lap and trying to do Hebrew translation while she's doing that. that very moment, I needed to know that I'm not adequate, but my Savior is. And I needed to know what it meant to depend upon him to love that child. I needed to know what it meant to depend upon him to get up in the morning and to keep going when things seemed overwhelming, like they were going to crush me. When I was a young man and Cindy and I had been married, the the 10 and the 15 and the 20 years. I needed to know what it meant to know Christ in a way that poured his love through me to her. And I have not yet arrived. As I get older, I need to know what it means to to know Christ in the midst of the energy level going down and, you know, the, the, the fatigue going up and all those kinds of things that kind of happen as you get a little bit older. God, what does it mean to know you more? It's different. There's always more. Knowing Christ means, what does it mean to live that out now than it did 20 years ago? How do I demonstrate my knowledge of Christ? How do I live it out in my day-by-day life with with grandkids now? The other day, we were sitting, and Austin was was talking, and he he looks at me, and he says, Papa, when does God hit us with lightning? And I was like, huh? And he was like, well, God created lightning, right? Yes. God controls the lightning, right? Yes. So God waxes with lightning sometimes, right? Suddenly, I'm in this theological discussion that has to do with mercy and grace and that God isn't about whacking his children with lightning and and all of those kinds of things. And, And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Living out what it means to know Christ is different now that I'm 59 than it was when I was 39. I learn about my motivation You know, so often the reason why we we think we kind of arrived is because we tend to look at sin in our lives on kind of like an iceberg. Remember an iceberg? How much of the iceberg is above the water? 
One-tenth. Ten percent. How much is below the water? Okay, do the math. Ten percent. Ninety percent. You know what I've come to learn? That top ten percent sometimes can look awful good, except at five o'clock in the morning when the computer crashes. But that top ten percent can look awfully good. And then I look at the ninety. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Be submissive one to another in the fear of Christ. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And I begin to say, you know, Lord, when I begin to look at the depth, the motivation, the purposes, I begin to understand there is so much more to do. And God, thank you that you're at work. Remember, I don't have to arrive. I just need to keep paddling. Because I'm already there. We acknowledge that we are a long way from fully knowing Christ. There is always more. We remember that the outcome is certain for those that are in Christ. As Paul was writing that, he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has already taken hold of me. I'm already there. I just keep going so that I can enjoy him more and more. Paul goes on to say that we need to put to rest the things in the past. What does he mean like that? He mean I never remember them? I, I never think about them? Well, Paul thought about them. And there were times that he would write about his past. He would talk about, you know, I used to be a persecutor of the church, and I used to do this, and I used to do that. What does it mean to put the things in the past? Here's what I think it means. It means that I choose not to define myself either by my failures or my successes. I can look back in my life and I have some huge failures. They don't define me. I keep paddling because I'm in Christ. I learn forgiveness. I learn grace. Cindy and I were talking yesterday as we were driving around about a particular person who had a major sin in their lives. And what was so interesting is it was that very sin that God eventually used to bring about incredible outcomes in that person's life. That sin didn't define them. Their relationship with Christ did. Some of us have those things in our past that we just feel so ashamed of. God says, that doesn't define you. You're in Christ. Put it behind. Move on. Keep paddling. But the other extreme is choosing not to be satisfied with our accomplishments. You look back and say, oh, I was, I was so good. You know, that was wonderful. I, I was, that ministry was perfect. That, you know, that, that relationship was so good. And you kind of look back and you rest on your laurels. Paul says, no, put that behind too. There's more to do, beloved. There's more to know. There's more of a depth of relationship that is available than was there yesterday. Keep paddling. Keep paddling. But finally, Paul says this. Paul says, knowing Christ as a diligent pursuit results in an eternal prize. 
Now, do we understand that heaven is not our prize? It's not something we earn. It's not something that what I do in my daily faithfulness to Christ affects whether or not I spend eternity with the Lord or not. Do you know what defines whether or not I spend eternity with the Lord or not? Is whether or not I put my faith in Jesus Christ. That alone. But remember my favorite line from the movie Gladiator? What you do now will echo in eternity. And God says, I long to share my glory with those who have been faithful. Paul says, when we get to the end, if we've been faithful, God says, I have a prize for you. The outcome of faithfully seeking to know Christ is not just here, but yet to come. You notice there in verse 14 when he says, I continue to press forward. I continue to press on. I continue to keep the reality that what I do now will echo in eternity. That what I do now will be valued by my Father for all of eternity. That what I do now will be acknowledged by my Father. And he notices, even if no one else notices, the Father is aware. That outcome of faithfully seeking to know Christ is an eternal glory. We don't really know what it's all like. Sometimes Paul uses the word prize. Sometimes he uses the word crown. When he was talking to to the mother of John and, and James, and they wanted to sit on the left side and the right side, and Jesus said, you know what? There will be those that do that. It may be proximity, those who are closer in terms of, of actual proximity to eternity. We don't know what that eternal glory is, but here's what we do know, that God shares his glory with those who are faithful. And the greater my faithfulness, the greater I enjoy that share. Paul said it this way, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is on not what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. Beloved, whatever you do in faithfulness to Christ lasts forever. Think about that. Paul goes on to say that the outcome of faithfully seeking to know Christ is the upcalling of God in Christ. Notice if you would there in Philippians chapter 3 and there in verse 14 where Paul says, I press on to the goal. And then it says to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It is one of the hardest phrases in the book of Philippians to translate because literally in the Greek, this is the phrase, the prize is the upcalling of God in Christ. What in the world is an upcalling? And some take it to be, you know, heaven ultimately, but the problem is I don't earn heaven. You try to earn heaven, earn heaven. I might earn heaven, but I'm not going to earn heaven. If I try to earn heaven, I will never get there. Heaven is not the prize. 
The prize is the upcalling. What's the upcalling? What in the world is Paul talking about? What Paul is talking about comes right out of the Olympic Games. The running. He's talking about the runner who is just taking all of his strength, all of his energy to get to the end, to get to that finish line. He's focused on that finish line. And finally, he comes across the finish line. And the neat thing is, in Christianity, I'm not competing against anyone else but my own faithfulness. The image goes on and involves the calling forth by the president of those who have gained the prize. The president of the games would go around and he'd walk around the athletes and he'd say, Eric, come on up. You're not coming up? Not for running? Okay. Long jumping. (laughs) And he says, here's your prize. You've run well. It is that idea that is involved. It is the recognition of the judge that I've run well. What Paul is talking about here is the image involves our Father acknowledging those who have faithfully served him. Not only do I get to know him now, but I get to enjoy that faithfulness for eternity. Paul talks about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about it as yet future. This is in the middle part of his ministry, and, and, he's, and he's running the race. He's fighting the fight, and he says, everyone who competes in the games, that's that Olympic idea, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. It was a crown of laurel leaves. Do you know how long that lasts? I've bought Cindy flowers. Maybe a month. If you add all that stuff to it and keep it in the water, and, and it's gone. But we run to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat. The old King James used to have, I buffet my body. We could say many of us misunderstood that for many years. It's I buffet my body and make it my slave so that I have not, so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. On Friday, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, as Millie and Stan had come to realize that the battle was finished, Millie and Stan had some time together. And Millie took out the daily bread that they enjoyed so much and opened it up and started reading. And this was a verse that was there. The time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only me, but all who have longed for his appearing. At the end of his life, Paul says, I've run it with faithfulness. I've fought it with faithfulness. 
I've kept the faith. And God will respond. Beloved, I want to know Christ. I want to keep paddling knowing that that is already mine. I want to stay faithful so that in the end, when I stand before my Lord, I will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It was different when I was 22 than when I was 32 and when I was 42 and when I was 52, and we'll end there. But I want to be faithful. To know him more and more now. And to be able to enjoy the glory that God will share with those who are faithful. The challenge before us is simply this. Do you want to know Christ? The power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his suffering to be identified with him in his death so that in some way the time will come when we will be resurrected with all who know the fullness of life in Christ and to enjoy the prize that he longs to give to those who are his faithful children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge that Paul puts before us in this passage. Father, it begins by knowing your Son as our Savior, by placing our faith and trust in you. But Lord, let us never stop there. Remind us that our eternity with you is certain through our faith in your Son. Remind us that there is always more to know of that relationship in an ever-growing and ever-developing way and a constant way of having to learn what it means to put to death the struggles with sin in our lives and to live more and more to reflect you. Father, remind us of anything we do for you. We do to bring you glory and to worship you. Lasts into eternity. For those who have been faithful, you choose to share your glory with us. May that motivate us in everything we do. We ask it in the name of your Son, who is the one we seek to know, the one who made it all possible, your Son, Jesus. Amen.